From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. For this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast, something a little bit different. I have an in-person conversation with Thomas and Tice, co-founders of Creative Force. Before Creative Force, Thomas and Tice made their way into the creative production industry through another company they founded called Pixels. We sat down together and talked about the early days of e-commerce, finding out there was a market for Pixels, and the moment that changed things, especially for Tice. And then I just decided I don't want to do this. There's no reason for having two jobs, you know, having a full-time job and then have this other thing where, you know, it's it's not going to take off kind of feeling. So I almost, I actually wrote the email, hey Thomas, I think maybe it's time you find somewhere else to do the, the website thing. And then Thomas called me before I got to send the email and he said, Amazon called us, you know, <laughs> that was just insane. And then the delete. This is part one of this conversation, which as I mentioned, was recorded in person and on location during our first ever Creative Force meetup in Spain. So you may hear some ambient noise or shuffling around. My deepest and sincerest apologies to our editor, Calvin, about this. All right, folks, let's take a listen. This is not the e-commerce content creation podcast. It might be the e-commerce content creation podcast. I am sitting in Malaga, Spain with Thomas. I won't try to say your last name. Kaulon. Perfect. And Tice. Rasmussen. Perfect. The two founders. Do you consider yourself co-founders of Creative Force? Or, I mean, what are your titles? Yeah, co-founders, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. At least when we're in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very fortunate to be here in Spain all together. Your team that is dispersed all over the world that you've been building over the last few years. We've been here having sessions, talking about the business, talking about the product. And you talked yesterday about you consider this chapter one. For creative force. I want to talk a little bit about what has come before chapter one, and you got to go back a little ways to kind of where you two met. We were running this e-commerce consultancy business. We also did a lot of technology at that time. Probably not considered technology today, but we were helping local companies in Denmark getting online either with a shopping cart functionality or just getting their products online. So that's actually where I started hmm. 20 years ago. Thomas actually headhunted me because I did a website for a local bar hmm. where Thomas is, you used to do the same thing for other like bars and so on. And that was one of the customer groups. But from a very technical angle of databases and you know publishing calendars and so on, what's going to happen next weekend and so on. And I did it from another angle, from a very visual angle of like making the feelings of like, what is this bar all about and so on. And Hmm. then they saw that and hey, this guy, just call him up. And then that's how we met. How did Tice get on your radar, Thomas? Just from yeah, so a lot of bars. I actually think that was a competitor. So yeah, like Tice said, we did these websites for local bars and we had this idea of getting like an event calendar online. And if you put it in a database, you could actually make a rule that past events are not being shown anymore. So it's actually a website that is automatically updating. Right. <laughs> At that time, it was pretty revolutionary. Right. And and Ty suggested this really, really beautiful wall-designed website, much better on the design side than we could do. So I thought, like, if we could combine Ty's 
skills in design with our database technology. On the visual <laughs> that side. That would be amazing, yeah. So that, Maybe what you the, didn't know is that Tice was also kind of brilliant underneath the hood, but we'll, we'll get to that. Did, oh, that came later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very young. So what next? You guys are building websites. It's very, very early on, and yeah. we're, we're just learning how we're going to use the internet, what e-commerce looks like. Yeah, we did a lot of e-commerce. And I, I think that one of the realizations we did, like at that time when you were pitching like an e-commerce storefront, that was not like you didn't go to the CEO or to the CMO and so on. You actually went to the IT guy in the company, like the head of IT or something like that, because he was in charge of bringing products online. That right. was a question of getting the products from the internal systems, like an ERP system, online. And just enabling the functionality of buying products online, that is a very transactional thing. And we went out and kind of pitched these like beautiful websites and storefronts and so on, uh, very well designed. And then when reality hit us, we saw that they just uploaded really, really ugly images of uh, like awful visual content huh. on, on our beautiful designed storefronts. I think that kind of like at least seeded something in our minds that at some point it would become more visual uh, because it was really a 1.0 version or 0.9 version of, of like e-commerce, which at that point was very transactional. Right. So I think that's the vision of, of making that a better experience in some ways. And we just saw that our customers were failing on that point. Mm. So you've got beautiful e-commerce websites. The images that you're trying to use to sell the items are not living up to the standards of the website themselves. And now you have a problem that you need to figure out how to solve. Where did you start there? Yeah, I actually didn't. I don't think we started at that point. I think it came later on where we actually created like a dam system to manage like kind of a PIM system, dam system functionality in our backend to manage a lot of this. I think that we saw the pain points of getting visual assets online or getting the right visual assets. I think that that's the pain point we saw from more like an operational perspective. I don't think we saw it from like a visionary perspective of, of making e-commerce more beautiful and so on. I think it was more like from an operational perspective. Mm. Yeah, and then you quit the company. Yeah, and then I quit the company and started out Pixels. Yeah. We started out with a small team in Vietnam that did some of this operational stuff for our customers that helped them like knock out the backgrounds, create like a, a nice looking shadow so you could get this consistent look on your e-commerce storefront. Mm. And that's kind of like, it was only like a side business at that time. What year was and, that? Uh, around 10, 2010, yeah. Mm. Yeah, then we actually just got a lot of customers on that specific product of helping out with the operational side. That was a surprise uh, to you? That was kind of a surprise to me, yeah. So I sold the part of the e-commerce consultancy business and started up very, very small with a small team in Vietnam, bought that out from... MCB and yeah, I pretty much just got an FTP server on a phone and I started calling some potential clients and pretty much all of them said, yeah, we have this need, <laughs> can you help us out? Yeah. Hmm. And then we just started helping a lot of business and we launched an English version of the website and a very early version of an API. So we kind of made it a little bit technical, you know, you could like integrate with our service hmm. and yeah, we just started scaling the business. Yeah. yeah, But in the beginning, you were sitting in your bathrobe at home, in your, you know, <laughs> just getting out of bed and just doing all the work at home. Right. Or very, very low-key. Yeah. Very low-key, yeah. yeah. 
And then what Thomas didn't say is that he got me and Janus, the third founder of Pixels, on board to kind of help with the technical side. Thomas had the business vision yeah. of this, and then we were kind of getting on board while we still worked at the e-commerce company mm. uh, to help him out with the technical side. So you guys started getting more and more clients. You're growing. How did the scaling process go? Everything is about a customer need. If you can find a need in a the market, then you'll find a way of scaling it. So I think the scaling is the more like the operational side of it. Scaling like the customer side was pretty much, I think, just reaching out to our network and so on. We did launch like a PPC, like a Google AdWords campaign in the US. And one day Amazon called us or reached out and said, hey, can you do something for our sellers? Can you help our sellers? get their products online to Amazon because they had like a, a very strict requirement of right. a white background that they, they were like, okay, maybe these guys could help us like kind of like a seller enablement to Amazon. Right. And we started working with a lot of Amazon sellers at that point. Yeah. I think that was at the point where I said to Thais, now you have to decide if you're going in full time. I was just about to mention that. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a, an experience. I remember it totally clear that I was in my summer house running around painting this old wooden thing. And then I just decided I don't want to do this. There's no reason for having two jobs, you know, having a full-time job and then have this other thing where, you know, it's, it's not going to take off kind of feeling. So I almost, I actually wrote the email, hey, Thomas, I think maybe it's time you find somewhere else to do the, the website thing. And then Thomas called me before I got to send the email and he said, Amazon called us, you know, <laughs> that, that was just insane. And then delete you know yeah. that email. Like, oh that's amazing and then half a year later or something i quit my job and got on board with that yeah and, and that was a pretty pivotal moment for yeah. us that we got validated by by this huge yeah right at that point also huge giant yeah. so on the operational side what was it like scaling on that side you have like on the production side yeah on the production side that was yeah. A nightmare. Yeah. yeah yeah the problem is that you invest a lot of money it's going to take you nine months or six months before you actually start earning some of that back again on this new scaling. So if you if you have to grow like with 100 new editors, in this case, we had all these photo editors, we had to buy computers, we had to train them, we had to you know build bigger offices. I can't remember how many offices we went through, like five or something in, over the years. Hmm. Every time we needed to redo it and so on. So much cost just going into that before we could reap anything from it. Right. Yeah. That was not perfect. Let's just put it like that. In terms of funding and so on, really, right. really hard. While all of this is going on, you've got a background in the early days of e-com. You kind of shifted over towards sort of the creative side. You saw this need and you thought maybe there's a way that we can work on something to address this. Took off maybe better than you expected. Mm. All of this time, you're learning a lot of lessons about the industry and a lot of lessons about creative production. And while all of this is happening at the same time, you have small companies that are doing very well for themselves in e-commerce. They're getting very big and they're now building themselves studios and building all this infrastructure to start to support these creative needs that they have for their websites. And it's not an easy process. Mm. It's a very difficult process. Yeah. And you guys had some unique insights through Pixels and realized that this company here has the same problem that this company has. Yeah. They've all got different workflows, but the same core problems. And then what? We kind of grew up together with our customers because everything before 10 or 11, there was nothing, right? No, but nobody did it really seriously. That's why we saw the problem. So we kind of grew up with them. 
but then some of them saw it and then they started really taking it seriously. I, I think you're right in that sense that we are kind of growing with the customers. I think we went more into like the high-end stuff pretty early on because we saw that these smaller sellers and so on, they were just not at a level where they appreciated the yeah. work we did. So at the same time, we started out with some like commercial photo studios that was working with big brands, like big fashion brands. And we actually got a, like a, a couple of like luxury brands in at the same time. And they just had all these different requirements. And I think that at that time, we we're trying to get a consistent output. So the input is like a unique image that we're getting, but the output or the processing and so on is fairly the same, but it's new every time. So that's what creative operation is about. Like right. you're doing the same stuff over and over again, but it's different every time. Every single yeah. image yeah. is so, a snowflake. There's yeah. no two images that are the same. So trying to figure out what is the operational part of this whole thing and what is the creative part of this whole thing hmm. has actually been like a long learning process for us and our customers as well. Because in the beginning, it was like, okay, you can't put creativity into a formula. But we actually found out there's a lot of formulas in, in creativity and there's a lot of things that people would think is creativity, but really is just like repetitive, boring tasks that they're mm. doing over and over again. It's not a part of the creative process. It's a part of an, an operational process that you're doing over and over again. And I think that that has been really a collaboration with our customers and a very strange learning curve in some ways. Yeah. At what point does your head pop off the pillow in the middle of the night and you think, I need to solve this problem somehow? I think when we got to like four or 500 employees in Asia and we were about to double production in a year. So we had to hire 500 people, get them onboarded, get them training, buying PCs, running night shifts, like, and then still have like a consistent quality in our output. Mm. That was when we came to a point where we said, there's no way we can do this. We need to put some technology into this. We need to find a way to produce a consistency at scale. You kept saying to me, hey, we need assembly line production. We need to learn something from that. We cannot keep on doing this. And we totally all agreed. So we had a long, I think over a year or so, we totally acknowledged it's not going to work. We had nine months before people could start actually doing work because they needed to do everything in our production mm. and so on. We had so many areas where we needed to improve in order to get efficient. And Thomas kept saying, we need to do some kind of assembly line. We need to do that. And it was just like a realization that had to happen. But getting there was not evident. It was not like yeah. coming, popping, like you say. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't wake up and then suddenly you have <clears> an idea. It kind of happened a little bit later. Also, in one day, probably, yeah. the major idea came, but it took a long time to get there. Yeah, We have a technical background, so we're thinking that we can solve all problems with that lens of our technical perspective. But there's actually a lot of problems that are not technical. But if you look at like production, like how production evolved over like, I don't know, 200 years, like from the industrial revolution to mass production to lean production and, and so on. We had to go through the same, all the same steps that all other kind of production has went through, but we just had some different challenges yeah. because we had a unique input and a unique output, but we needed to find a way to do that process. So mm. 
all production starts out with, if you take like fashion and apparel, like 100 years ago, it was a tailor. It was a craftsmanship kind of production. Right. And then this tailor kind of figured out, okay, maybe I could like do, I don't know, 20 dresses and and they will start batching things up. So that is a more efficient way of running production because when you're batching things up, you can have different people on different stages in production. Mm. And then all the way through like fast fashion that you have today where you are pretty much running continuous releases of products. Like right. you do, you don't really have seasons anymore right. in fast fashion and so on. You, you have every single week new products are coming out and that's an extremely efficient way of running it. And I think that we got very inspired by the flow concept of like having people specialized in different roles and then just controlling the process of producing and then having the input being like a variable that we just need to manage with flexible capacity instead mm. of training like individual editors up in specific customers. You have to look at it with the tailor perspective. Let's take a tailor. So either you have one or 10 tailors that can do everything from sleeves, buttons, everything, the inside, the outside, all of that. Right. Or you find someone that's like brilliant at buttons and then another one that's brilliant at the outside and inside and so on. So that's kind of the shift that we realized because that requires so little training compared to if you need to do everything, right? So right. if you look at the image production, there's a lot of different disciplines in that. There's the cutout, there's the retouching, there's the shaping, there's a lot of different disciplines. And if you need to learn all of that in order to work with images, that's just going to take a lot of time. Right. So that was one angle on why do we need to change this right. and why we got inspired by mass production. I want to shift us into the conversation around creative force. And at what point in your journey with Pixels did you start to think that there might be a need for something like creative force? I think our mindset kind of shifted towards being much more operational after what we've been through with, at Pixels. And visiting these photo studios around the world, I, I think we pretty much visited like Every all, all the major <laughs> photo studios, uh, retailers, brands, and so on around the world. And I think that seeing how they were running operations and pitching how we were running operations and so on, it was really, really strange to see that they just wasted resources and we were so focused on getting it right on the operational side. Like, at some point we came down to, like, delivering images back within two or three hours and some of these studios spent two weeks on, on making the assets to the point where, like, they just had something they could send out to us and the deadline was already missed. And we just started listening to some of these pain points. And, and with the knowledge we have for optimizing operations and the technology we had in place, I think it was very straightforward to get to the thought that why don't we help them with some of their operations? Because yeah, It's kind it, of it perfect because Pixels adds value in and of itself, but it also sort of a proof of concept that you could take some of these ideas about production. Yeah, Sometimes when we visit some of these photo studios, I was actually a little bit in doubt if we got to the warehouse. Like, these photo studios literally were warehouses. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, like, the work in progress was just insane. You could have, like, you know, if you, if you take, like, the throughput of the photo studios and multiply it with the average turnaround time in days, then you'll have the work in progress. Yeah. 
and nobody did that calculation. Yeah. And the work in progress is actually like a, a very, very good measurement Absolutely. of the com complexity. Yeah. So I think that a lot of these studios were like way too complex to manage. And I think that when we start pitching the software, everybody thought, okay, now you're doing like a photo studio management solution. Mm. What we were actually trying to pitch was like a complexity reduction solution. <laughs> so right. yeah. so well, you don't have to manage and, that much. And maybe a little uh, bit of a mindset shift. Very much, yeah. Yeah. And to some degree, I don't want to defend how creative production for e-commerce started, but to some degree, all they really knew was the logistics of fulfilling product. And you do that a very specific way. Yeah. And so, and sometimes a lot of the choices are made of like bad experience. So you'll have outliers. You'll have, sometimes you're sending things back to the warehouse that you were supposed to do on an editorial shoot. Mm. And then the countermeasure or the solution to that problem would be to keep it in the studio longer time so you don't get into that problem. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Thomas, but I want to punctuate that because that's a powerful message. Is it wise for so many of your choices to be based on bad experiences instead of thinking that, that, a little that, bit That's how management goes. You identify a problem and then you have a solution for it. But you have so many exceptions going on in the photo studio that you will come up with so many different solutions that it becomes so complex that you need a very good system to manage that kind of complexity. Layering band-aids on band-aids exactly, on band-aids yeah. until you don't know what yeah. was in the middle anymore. And that's what we see with some of the requirements that these studios have now for a workflow solution. It's actually not a workflow solution. It's a managed complexity solution. It's, so okay. you created all this complexity and then you actually created a need to manage it. And we saw it a little bit of in a different way. Like we saw a need for a system that could actually keep track of everything that was going on in the studio. Right. So you don't have to put all that effort into managing it. Yeah. So how did it start? How did you start specking it out? That's the tough part. I know, just as it was getting good, but do not fear because part two will be released soon. It may actually already be out depending on when you're listening to this. But in part two, we get into the early versions of Creative Force, and I ask Thomas and Tice what they're most excited about for the future of the company. We are very e-com focused. That has been like the outset. Like an e-com is very strict and very predefined and so on, not very flexible. So having a more flexible side of our system is the project we're working on right now. The editorial projects, as we call them. Many thanks to Thomas and Tice for indulging me and agreeing to do the podcast. If you had feedback for us or want to pitch a guest or topic idea for the show, email us at podcast at creativeforce.io. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Daniel T. Jester. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean and our guests. I'm your host. Until part two, my friends. Mm -hmm.